Welcome to another edition of Podcast from the Edge with me, Peter Bruce. It's getting towards the silly season, I suppose, but there's still some serious stuff to dispose of. Will the panel selected by the Speaker of the National Assembly find that President Cyril Ramaphosa perhaps does have a case to answer for the big cash heist at his Pala Pala fame game farm in Limpopo? And if they do, what happens next? And will Cyril Ramaphosa win re-election at the ANC elective conference in Johannesburg in three weeks' time? So there's a little bit to play for. Um, because even if he does win, as he expected, what about the team he takes office with? What about the ANC national executive he's eventually saddled with? The absolutely best person to put these questions to is Richard Callan, a professor of law at UCT, public intellectual, must-read newspaper columnist, and the author of some of the best books on South Africa, uh, including a brand new one out just in time for Christmas. Richard, welcome your new book, The Presidents, co-authored with uh, fellow academic Mabel Sitole, um, looks at all five of, of democratic South Africa's leaders and concludes wisely, but perhaps in a way disappointingly, that it's up to South Africans ultimately to elect good leaders of good judgment and stature, and that we can't always blame the leaders themselves. I, I have to say I was hoping for an easy way out or an easier way out. Can't we just find the right person? Thanks, Peter, and thank you very much for having me on to this uh, this podcast. Uh, uh, real pleasure to be discussing these matters with you at this point in time in history. Um, yes, the book. You're right. Uh, we I, I've ended up saying we'll have to take control of our own destiny in a sense and not rely on our leaders. Um, if you can suggest who the right leader would be, good. Let's talk about that. But at the moment, even the current president, despite his talents does not really seem to be quite up to the job. It's a it's a it's a funny thing and I, was, I you know there's a there's a possibility if if we get the constitution right or the laws right to enable individuals to stand um uh for parliament in elections as independents that someone of stature might emerge in parliament who in the in the event of a hung parliament could um Put themselves forward as a compromise candidate for, for, for the as head of state because the government has to be formed. The president has to be elected in parliament and by parliament, are they not? Well, that's right, and it's very easy to forget this uh, part of our our government uh, system. Uh, we have a president, but it's not actually a presidential system. It's more of a prime ministerial system mm -hmm. in that parliament, as you say, elects yeah. the president, and so the president then serves accountable to parliament directly. So whoever's president has to secure a majority in the National Assembly. Now, the scenario you're painting, at the moment, it seems very far-fetched, frankly, but I can imagine that sure. not necessarily in 2024, but perhaps in 2029, when we have a more uh, fractured parliament where the ANC position has gone perhaps from what it is now, 57 and 29, to maybe 47 in 2024, to maybe 37 in 2029. And then it's got to put yeah. together a more complicated kind of <clears throat> coalition arrangement. And maybe uh, Parliament and its wisdom at that point will say, well, let's have a compromise candidate, an, an individual. Maybe your maybe your former colleague Sangeza Zibi. I said he I see he's announced a movement today, not a party, a movement that's going to the election. This is he's taking so long, it's really driving me crazy. I must talk to him. I must get to I'll get on the phone. You say in the book of Ramaphosa, at best he's a master tactician, at worst. A fiddler and a doodler who's incapable of summoning the strategic vision 
and political acuity needed to confront what is wrong and to take the tough tough decisions necessary to turn the vision into reality is that is that curable or is it chronic i i think it's chronic for this reason uh, he's been in this game a long time peter he is a veteran politician with a long career and he gets he's like the tortoise he always gets there in the end but he's he doesn't run ahead like the rabbit and so yes he does get there in the end but the point we make in the book is that at a time of extraordinary unprecedented poly crisis layer, many layers of crisis you need a different tempo of leadership it needs to be more urgent more decisive bolder needs to take risks and that's just not in his character and so i don't see this kind of political leopard changing his spots anytime soon even if which i think at the moment is unlikely he gets a, a really good result at nazrik 2 next month yeah we'll come to that in, in a second you 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 also try and 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 compare him and try very hard but you 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 do compare him uh with uh Roosevelt and the new deal FDR and the new deal um in the states but 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 you know Cyril does ha- had an opportunity i don't know how wide it was or you know maybe one's expectations were too much at the time but he hasn't really come close has he no he's fallen short and maybe it's a wise mm. unfair comparison but it seemed to us mm. that the really ex- extreme conditions of crisis in the 1930s in the united states uh globally were equivalent or very similar to the ones that confront the world and South Africa now and America was lucky then they had a president who was able to transcend his party uh transcend the corruption that was very prevalent in the United States at that point and rise above this crisis to lead the nation and in a way Ramaphosa I think had that moment in uh 9, 2018 when he assumed power and I think people mm. and commentators like you and I were I think enthusiastic about that moment we thought here was an opportunity mm. to to rebrand to regroup and secure a, a different kind of momentum and direction of travel in government um and for a year I think he did pretty well Peter I think you and I probably wrote that he put in place the the foundation stones uh to get things right to rebuild the state but after that it's kind of fizzled out and of course covid didn't help in terms of the economy yeah. so economic precarity mm-hmm. but what he's not done is take the tough decisions at the right moment and if there's one test of of great leadership it is that a great leader does not shirk the tough decisions he or she makes yeah. choice at those key moments what is, what is it that we possibly don't know about him you know what the the he's in many ways not a mystery because we you know one's not entitled and i don't believe one's entitled to peer into the private lives of people but i mean is there is there a character uh, attribute about in Cyril that we've not considered that we've missed um or that we missed in you know before he he he, he came to office uh, this is a guy who did so well you know setting up the num backwind was a very difficult thing to do um where's the where's the is he you know is he just sort of is he just chronically tactical or does he have um is he he's not he's not without courage certainly if you look at his career there have been moments where he's shown courage for example in the 1980s and we quote a number of people particularly his lawyers who represented him and worked with him in the 80s and they describe a man of great courage great clarity of mind 
negotiating uh, strategist par excellence and someone who usually won, sometimes ruthlessly. So there is that uh, part of his history. But the point we make in the book about that, and it's a point that we make through the eyes of and the mind of uh, Rolf Mayer, who, of course, got to know Cyril Ramaphosa extremely well in the negotiating. Hmm. Mayer makes a really, I think, important point. He says, you know, when you are representing a trade union or indeed a business for that matter, you are representing a single interest holder and you've got that one interest in your mind and in your view as you conduct your decision making and your negotiation. When you're the president of a country, it's much more complicated. You have to balance numerous interests, particularly if you've got a party behind you as divided and fractured as the as the ANC is. And trying to balance all that interest, I think, then plays into Ramaphosa's weak area, his weak spot, his blind spot even, which is his inability to really confront the strategic dilemma of the day and make a tough choice. And I think if there is a personality weakness there, people who know him uh, very well say that he likes to be liked um, and that, in a sense, people who like to be liked tend to sometimes avoid confronting difficult moments or difficult people, difficult situations, because they prefer not to have the awkwardness of it. Yeah, so to say yes to everybody. The the Let's step out of the book for a moment and... and Let's look at him through through the pala pala question, the robbery at the farm. The Speaker of, of the National Assembly set up a panel to decide whether he should indeed face some sort of uh, investigation. Tell me whether I'm getting this right, because you were initially involved and you know it better than I do. There are a variety of probes going on, the Reserve Bank, the police, no doubt, and, and SARS probably. Uh, but for the moment, it seems to me this one matters, and its and its decision, which is going to come out this week, it has to make a decision in a very narrow way, uh, and it's more than um, whether or not Cyril has a prima facie case to argue. Help us a little bit, Richard. You've written about it recently. What does this panel have to do? Uh, basically, tomorrow, I think its report is out due is due out on Wednesday. That's right. And they've their deadline was extended. No surprise to yeah. me. Uh, when yeah. when I was originally appointed on the panel, I looked at the schedule and I thought there's very unlikely a panel of this with this responsibility can do its work in, in 30 days. Because and this is the first of three constraints on, on it. First of all, in terms of evidence, it is limited in the following respect. It can receive evidence from members of parliament because this is a parliamentary process or it's the start of a parliamentary process. The panel is appointed by the Speaker of Parliament. It's, it's independent, but it's not unattached. It's attached to parliament. Mm -hmm. And and having received any evidence from members, and as far as we know, all they've received is further evidence from the ATM, the small party with one member yeah. that's uh, triggered the impeachment process. Having done so, the, the, the panel then must seek a response from the president, and no doubt the president would have responded. That's the limit of it. The second limitation is it's only relevant, uh, the evidence has to be relevant and within the tram lines of the motion. And the motion itself that was tabled by ATM limits itself to the, the particularities of the of what you call the heist, the robbery at, yeah. uh, at his farm. So it can't look at any other issues. It has to stay within those tram lines. Thirdly, and this is the most significant one for me, the specific wording of both the Constitution and the rules of Parliament that govern this panel say the following. The panel has to decide 
is there sufficient evidence of serious misconduct or serious violation of the law? And the words that are really important there are sufficient evidence and serious. So it has to be serious wrongdoing. If he's done something wrong, doesn't matter unless it's serious. Secondly, it's more than prima facie, in my view. Prima facie means on the face of it, does it look like there's a case to answer? I think this panel has to go a step up and notch up from that. It has to look at the evidence in the way I've described. It has to make a finding based on that evidence. And the finding has to be yes or no to the question of whether there is sufficient evidence or not. And having made a finding, does it have to, does it have to include a suggested remedy? Uh, the remedy, insofar as it is a remedy, is that if the finding is that there is sufficient evidence, then this moves to phase two of the impeachment process which is, as happened with the public protector, Parliament then has to set up an ad hoc committee to investigate whether or not there has been a serious violation of the law and or serious misconduct by the president. Yeah. So what is your, what, what is your guessing? I mean, could enough happen uh, on Wednesday to upset the Ramaphosa apple cart at uh, the December conference? Well, if, if the panel finds that there is not sufficient evidence, then that's the end of the impeachment uh, process. Of course, there may be a judicial review of the, the decision, depending on perhaps how uh, careful and compelling the wording of the decision is and the report that the panel hands to the speaker. But it, on the face of it, clears the way uh, in terms of uh, the president's run-in to the ANC conference later in December. If, however, they find that there is sufficient evidence, that's a very serious matter for the president. I mean, that given the 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 caliber of this uh, panel, chaired by the former Chief Justice Sandili Ngobo, uh, a man of impeccable integrity, a, a, a really fine jurist, I think that that's, that's going to put a dark cloud over Ramaphosa's head. I, I don't think it will necessarily be a game changer. I think he'll probably still win next month. But it does open the possibility that his opponents will be able to latch on to that and say and argue vigorously at the ANC conference that it would be unwise to have such a president with this serious finding uh, hanging over him uh, remain as president of the party. It's interesting, though, because, I mean, the only person that, uh, that you know, if they, if they decide not to have not to have Cyril because of the panel's finding against him, let alone Parliament won't have had time by then to to make its own call. Um, the rival is William Keyser, who is, if anything, much deeper in the in the doo-doo than, um, than Cyril ever could be by not having reported. Uh, Cyril was away, was out of the country, both when this money was received and when it was stolen. So, um, and it really has a, an altogether different problem. Yes, you're right. And that's why I think Mackeezo's candidature is, is doomed. Uh, yeah. It's not likely to get very far. But I think if if that in the scenario we're talking about, where the Pala Pala panel says there is sufficient evidence and the impeachment must proceed next year, then um, it's possible that another candidate, most obviously Paul Mashatile, would put himself forward. And, and you've noticed, no doubt, Peter, how in the last week or two, mm -hmm. Mashatile has positioned himself as the kind of clean yeah. candidate. He, he's made it clear that he regards uh, Makize as a wounded animal in terms of the yeah. Five scandal. And if the Pala Pala panel finds against uh, Ramaphosa, he may then say, well, both of them are, yeah. uh, are, are inappropriate, and I must come through the middle uh, as, in a sense, the clean compromise candidate. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so, uh, look, I, I mean, my, my guess is that, is that the panel will, will, will come down 
not for Cyril, but not against him. Um, yes, I agree. Uh, which would, which would, which would mean he gets into a new term um, as party leader. Um, in effect, with nothing left to lose, he's not. He's, I'm sure he doesn't want a third term as party leader. Uh, people have gone there before and 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 failed. Um, in 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 theory, uh, that would mean that he could do what he wanted. Um, but would he? You know, do we still get stuck with Gwede Matashe and Ibrahim Patel, um, or does Cyril sort of break the chains and put on his Superman cape and you know fly over Table Mountain and um, you know, throw bolts of lightning at all our problems and solve them. I think your imagination is running away with you at the moment. <laughs> it's uh, Christmas. It's, it's Christmas. The way I would look at it, and it's a very different form of metaphor, is uh, the great Arsenal manager, Arsene Wenger, used to say oh, yeah. when we lost a game that uh, my my team, we did we played with the handbrake on today. So the question is, what can release the Ramaphosa handbrake? Uh, and the only thing, I think, that could possibly do so, and even this is in doubt, is if he gets a really good result next month at Nazareth too. And a good result is one, he must get at least 60%, if not 70% of the votes for the president. And secondly, yeah. even more importantly, he must get a reasonably supportive and united top seven uh, yeah. and a reasonably united uh, and loyal behind him, uh, NEC as a whole, the 80 member NEC. Frankly, at the moment, Peter, that looks unlikely. Um, yeah. His slate, insofar as it is a slate, looks in trouble. It looks like the votes uh, for the Ramaphosa candidates are, are being split. That could change. But on the other hand, the, the opponents uh, to him and his reform agenda look on the face of the numbers as they exist at the moment to be slightly ahead. The worst mm -hmm. case scenario, which is, which is, I think, even money possibility, is that he will end up in a worse position than 2017. And he could even be isolated on the top six, top seven, as they intend to extend it to. And that would be a very bad outcome. And the chance of him releasing the handbrake in those circumstances, I think, even reduced. And this is without any discussion of his character, his political personality, as, as we discovered, as we discussed earlier in this in this conversation. Yeah. yeah. So come 2024, then, he survives, let's say that he, you know, remains leader of the party, gets to 2024, um, uh, general election round about sort of you know May June July. Um, where how, do you believe the polls? Does the ANC now fall below fifty percent? Um, uh, uh, it's almost um, a redundant question, really, because even if it does, it's there's no but there's no party in the opposition that I can see um, that would come anywhere near to challenging it while it's still even in the forty in the high forty or even in the mid forty percent uh bracket um yes i think what I happens think, why is the opposition so pathetic well i'll come to that in a second but just on your first point if i may um i i i agree with you broadly i certainly don't really trust the polls as such because they often are inadequate because there are so many uh respondents to polls who say they don't know um what i do trust is the science of the trends and the trend mm. has been, apart from 2019, when thanks to Ramaphosa, there was a little uptick in the ANC's yeah. trend. The overall trend is downwards, and more and more ANC voters are sitting on their hands and staying at home or not even registering. So that's mm. the trend they've got to really worry about. Um, and, and in our electoral system, if an ANC voter doesn't turn up, that in effect is a vote for the opposition spread evenly or proportionally between them. Yeah. Um, this second transition, as I call it, 
the first being 94. This second transition, which is the end of three decades of ANC dominance, critical moment in the political, democratic and economic history of this country, is going to be a messy transition. In 94, it was decisive in the sense that one party took power from another overnight. That won't be the case here, as you say, Peter, rightly. It's unlikely that the ANC will go below 45% in 2024, and they'll be able to put together a relatively easy coalition, and they will then stay in office in government. What will be interesting, of course, whether having to have a partner in government will make any real difference to how they govern. Will it make them more accountable? Will it make them open to new ideas in policy terms? Or will we continue with the kind of sludge, feeling in a, in a chronic rut, that we feel to, that I think we're in now. My view is we will stay in that rut, in that sludge, and it will only be in 2029 when a more decisive political, new political outcome will emerge. I was going to ask just that question, actually. It does seem to me, too, that 2029 is by far the, 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 the more um, key year. We, we may well go below 50% this year. It may test um, you know, the formation of a government a little bit. Um, but 20, by 2029, we'll be, um, you know, we'll be uh, uh, really in trouble. We won't have come anywhere close to meeting our um, uh, uh, green energy targets. Uh, ESCOM uh, will will have lost even more generating power. Um, we are very far behind in building battery power, so there's no storage. Um, it's a real, it's a real mess, and I do agree with you. Twenty twenty nine looks to me to be the key election. And what's got? Well, I guess what you've got to ask. One of the questions you've got to ask now is where the DA, the official opposition, anyway. Whether you know, I'd be interested in your 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 feeling about this because this, the 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 conventional story that's being told at the moment is that the DA is sort of slightly recovering back to where and maybe slightly beyond where it was. Before it fell off the uh, um, fell off its chair um, in 2019, um, it's amazing how little we know about the DA. It's very bureaucratic, highly centralised, very secretive. Where just talk to me a little bit about it's ironic. Talk, yeah, no, exactly. Well, it's so funny yeah. you should say that. But it sounds like you, know, you might be describing the ANC of the Mbeki yeah. years, you know, secretive, centralist, and so on. But but actually, it's the DA and and frankly, uh, the most illiberal liberal party in history mm. in some respects mm. in terms of its lack of tolerance for, yeah. for opinions from theirs. Um, so I'm also querulous about saying it's gone back to its liberal roots. I'm not sure where it's heading, to be perfectly honest. And that is a problem for the country because we need strong opposition. We need to give voters real alternatives. And clearly the EFF is not a real alternative. It's a it's a, it's a a fraud uh, in many respects. It's 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 a classic populist party. It doesn't offer real alternative. And I don't think it's trusted, which is why it hasn't grown. As to the DA, uh, under Zilla uh, 1.0, uh, i.e. before uh, 2014, it was heading in the right direction. It was building carefully, city by city, state, uh, province by province. Uh, and then they had that slightly bad result in 2019. And they panicked. And they threw out Musi Mamani. Uh, and they've been going backwards since. I don't think that their national leadership in the form of Helen Zilla and John Steyenhausen are up to the task that's required of them now. What's interesting for those of us who live in the Cape is that the city of Cape Town and the Western Cape province, certainly in terms of the broad governance and economic management 
approaches, and certainly from a middle class perspective, um, are, are doing very well. And they do it kind of under the radar without the grandstanding and the uh, polemics of their national leadership. Uh, the premier and the mayor really sort of just get on with governing. Don't they just? I mean, and, and they put their hands up. You know, every time I, I find myself discussing future DA leadership, you you go to you go to those two names in terms of you know the possibility of some of of, of inclusive, dynamic, and possibly popular leadership. Um, I wanted just to come back to one remark or passage that you made about Cyril in 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 your book, The Presidents. You say that he's less than the country needs and deserves, but he may well be the best South Africa has to offer at the moment. Certainly he's the best that the ANC has to offer. Uh, if he fails in 2024, uh, that'll be his Waterloo. South Africa will end a period, a new period of transition as three decades of ANC dominance comes to end. A lot of people are thinking about leaving the country, Richard. We're saying, or you're saying, um, this is this this is not forever. This mess is not forever. This is, we are we are um, uh, almost 2029. We're almost at point zero. Yeah, I'm, I remain, despite the enormity of the challenge that we face at the moment, polycrisis, climate, unemployment, economy, governance, all of this, it's, it's an extraordinarily intense crisis. But it's kind of the, the worst moment. And I think uh, things will get better. And, and I think as the, and I trust this democracy, I trust our rule of law, I trust our freedom of expression, the media, and our ability as civil society to contest power, uh, hold powerful actors to account. Look at how Zuma was pushed back and pushed out of uh, power, a really important victory for democracy. The question really, Peter, is can this political second transition yield a second economic transition? Can a, a green sustainable economy emerge with better and more jobs and industrial localized value chains. That's the real test. The climate finance deal that Ramaphosa, to his credit, has marshaled through uh, the Presidential Climate Commission, uh, despite his Minister for Energy and his fossil fuel uh, obscantism, ob ob if that's the word, his obduracy yeah. in relation to, to coal interest, it's Gwede Mantash. If he, he's managed to navigate that in a typical Ramaphosa fashion. So to be fair to the president, it's not all bad. He has made some gains. He just does it a little bit too slowly, a little bit too indecisively, and, and therefore the tempo isn't what we need at the moment. But I remain optimist. I think this second political transition is going to yield a better government in at least 2029 and new ideas for policy and for the economy, which is what we desperately need. Richard Callum, thank you so much for joining me. And remember his new book, The Presidents, published by Penguin, Only the Best, is in bookshops now. Thanks so much for joining. And barring any unexpected surprises, I'll be joining you again here early in the new year.